0: I'm Deltra James, and in summer of 2019, I was diagnosed with triple negative metastatic breast cancer straight out the gate. I was 33 years old. I have my five girls and also my mom, who I call my caregiver. She doesn't live with us, but luckily she lives just like 10 minutes away. She's a huge help to me as a single mama. Infinite strength really helped me and my girls during the toughest time of our lives. Receiving my diagnosis was really tough, but then shortly after my diagnosis, I went through a divorce, and it was not a good one. (laughs) It's as bad as it could possibly be. I not only went through the application process for infinite strength and received that financial support, but... I really developed a relationship with Roberta. She knew me personally. She knew my situation and my children. None of us asked to be a part of the cancer community, but such was our fate. As they always say, you know, worst club with the best members. And that's totally true.
1: I am Marlena Murphy. I was originally diagnosed with stage three triple negative breast cancer in 2018. And then I had a recurrence last year, 2022, in which the diagnosis was stage four metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And at that time, I was a full time student. I had part time work, like with GRASS. Another part-time job with an organization here in the Atlanta area, Turning Point Breast Cancer Rehabilitation as a community advocate, and I had to be an internship. I was working on a master's in clinical mental health counseling, but my full-time job was being a student and being a mother. I have a 16-year-old daughter, so I'm in treatment, I'm in internship, I'm in classes. It was intense and really overwhelming, actually. Roberta and infinite strength coming into my life was nothing but a blessing. When I was approved, she basically covered up to $1,000 in household bills directly for six months. And the thing about the six months, and this is why I know this was so meant to be, because it started in December and the last payments that she made for me were in May In May is when I graduated.
2: Welcome to the RMBC Life podcast from Share Cancer Support, dedicated to exploring life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us, the people living with this disease and the experts who partner with us to help make our lives better. I'm Lisa Laudico, and I'm really glad you're here since no one should face NBC alone. Welcome to season seven of our NBC Live. We are so glad you're here. We have a special Trailblazer episode for you as the season opener. I speak with Roberta Lombardi. She's the founder and president of Infinite Strength, a nonprofit that began in 2018 with a regional focus, but has since expanded across the nation. You just heard from two of the people that Infinite Strength has supported with its focus on single moms with NBC, financial need, and kids under 18 living at home. While Roberta herself isn't living with MBC, that hasn't stopped her from recognizing that those with MBC need everyone's attention, the attention of advocates, industry, and healthcare providers. Through infinite strength, Roberta is stepping into our shoes, seeing the gaps and taking steps to bridge them. We are so happy to welcome her to our podcast. A quick note. Both Roberta and Deltra James, who you just heard, refer to Lisa in their interviews. That Lisa is Lisa Ladico, the founding force behind this podcast. Lisa had wanted to bring Roberta on as a guest, and while she didn't have a chance to do that, it is my privilege to be the one to welcome Roberta here.
3: Can you tell us about Infinite Strength and what you do? We are focused primarily on underserved, underrepresented single mothers living with metastatic breast cancer, and we provide financial support for rent and mortgage for six months. So to qualify for our assistance, somebody would need to be Single And single does not have to be, I mean, maybe they're in the middle of a separation. Maybe they're divorced. Maybe they had a child with somebody and never got married. I don't really care they're a single mother, as far as I'm concerned, living with this disease. There are also instances where maybe it is a grandmother taking care of a child, a grandchild, and she's solely responsible because for whatever reason, the parents are not a part of the child's life. We've had women that are taking care of a sibling's child because the sibling is not a part of the child's life. And so they've taken on raising the child themselves. If they're living with metastatic breast cancer, if they're 200 percent or below of the federal poverty level, we will help them. Primarily, the women that we help, they're well below 200 percent. We have women who show us their tax return and it's seven thousand dollars. And of course, we have women that aren't making anything. So I would say maybe 20% of the population that we're supporting is 200% of the poverty level, and the other 80% are below. I have so much gratitude for
2: what you have undertaken, Roberta. Thank you for giving so much of yourself to people who live with NBC sometimes it feels like there's such a divide between people who have early stage breast cancer and those who have metastatic breast cancer. For sure. Yeah. I'm wondering, did you know about metastatic breast cancer when you were diagnosed and what happened to bring your focus to people living with metastatic breast cancer?
3: So, My family had breast cancer in it. My maternal grandmother had breast cancer twice. That is not what she died for. She did not have metastatic breast cancer. However, my aunt, who was very much like a mother to me, died of metastatic breast cancer the year before I was diagnosed. But I'm going to be honest, the very first reason I formed Infinite Strength is because I was in my head after treatment. I was not happy I couldn't figure out where I could fit into my life again because I didn't have the same outlook on my life. And I felt changed. I felt different. I wasn't happy with myself physically. I was also having a lot of side effects and it was scaring me. Oh my God, I have recurrence. So I thought about hosting an event for the hospital that treated me at Yale for breast cancer patients that were underserved that needed help affording out-of-pocket costs, wigs, whatever it was. In 2018, I came up with this idea to have this event. I asked my oncologist what she thought.
2: Just breaking in here for a second to say that the oncologist who treated Roberta is Dr. Sarah Shallhorn. She works at Yale, and she is also the one who encouraged her to think about starting a nonprofit.
3: Let's jump back in and hear the rest of the story. She came right over. It was really cute. She came to my house. We sat around the table talking about it. And she was, you should be a nonprofit. And I'm like, oh, wait, I didn't say that. And she was, no, I think you should. And you know what? I'll help you. I'll be on your board. It happened like that. Now, I was very lucky that we could afford for me to go out and do that. I got a lawyer, started to apply for 501c3 status, incorporated us. We had our first event in May and we got approved for our 501c3 in June, but it was for all stages, all women with all stages of breast cancer that were in financial need. Fast forward to the end of 2019, I wanted to do something special for the kids. All along, a part of me was doing this, not just for the women, but for the kids. I had little kids. They were 14, 13, and 10 at the time I was diagnosed I saw what it did to my kids. I saw how fearful they were. And I thought, geez, my kids were so scared. And we have all that you could ask for in life. But the people we're helping, they don't have the advantages we have. So let's try to do something special. It was the holiday time. So again, my oncologist called and she said, I have a woman who has been homeless with her five kids. She just got approved for Section 8 housing, but they have nothing. And I'm wondering if you would like to help her for Christmas. So she put us in touch and the woman was so lovely, so kind, so gracious and moved to tears and said, I can't even talk right now. Can I call you back? I'm overwhelmed. I thought, oh, I scared her off. I'm not going to hear from her. Well, I did hear from her. She called and she said, no one's been this kind to us ever. And I said, you tell me what I can do to make the holiday special, to give your kids a memory. So she asked all of her kids to write a letter to Santa. And I got them. And I still have them to this day. And one of the kids asked for a bed for their mother to sleep on. so She didn't need to sleep on the floor. They were in a one bedroom apartment and she let them have the bedroom and she slept on the floor on a mattress, air mattress. One of the kids asked for a puppy that would never leave them and she could always love. These are the things they asked for. She asked for a photo with her kids so that they could always have that. So I brought a photographer and on the day we agreed upon, we went and spent a Sunday morning with this family. That is what totally changed my focus for infinite strength being with that family they had a roof over their head she was in a walk-up she could hardly breathe to go up and down the stairs she was months away from passing there wasn't anything more than a love seat as far as furniture in the apartment there was nothing in the kitchen no appliances no food nothing to tell me they ever ate there I came home and I was like, you know what? This is not right. So I sat with it for quite a while. And as we got into the beginning of 2020, I had this idea to refocus our mission. But of course, the pandemic hit and that brought with it its own (laughs) special type of turmoil. I thought, let me look at what we've done in the past year. Who have we helped? What's the demographic? And most of them were single mothers but they were single mothers with all stages, not just metastatic. When the pandemic was declared over and our state opened up in 2021 in the spring, I asked the board if they would approve us refocusing our mission to single mothers with metastatic breast cancer. We put a gala together in record time so that in July of 2021, we could announce our new focus. And it was so well-received. I would say that was the catalyst, meeting Sharon and her beautiful kids and seeing what they were going through. When I left her house that night, I got a text from her and she said, I don't remember ever laughing that hard with my children and I can't thank you enough for your kindness. I'll never forget it. And then she passed right after Christmas.
2: There's no words for how you changed their lives, but it's still just incredibly heartbreaking.
3: The thing that stays with me, it's like this with every family. I tried to find the kids. Nobody can say anything. And the social workers at the hospital, they can't share anything with us. That was devastating because the youngest three were my daughter's ages. So I think that played into how hard it hit me.
2: Let's hear again from Deltra, who tells of her introduction to infinite strength.
0: So I actually learned about infinite strength from Lisa. She was just always looking out for me, and I appreciate it so much. She let me know, hey, this really great organization is hosting a panel for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That was in 2021, and they were doing something a bit different. They wanted to focus on NBC, and it happened to be on, I think, NBC Day. During Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I don't think I had been a part of a panel discussion, so I was super nervous, (laughs) and I was really happy that she was right there with me. But as I was sharing my story alongside Lisa and these wonderful Connecticut-based oncologists, I was learning so much myself because I was being introduced to Roberta and I saw her passion and I was just so impressed by her as an early stager who had decided to not be done with the cancer community once she was done with treatment herself, but to dive even deeper. Once I was done on that panel, I just went to her and I was like, how do I apply for these services? Because God's no, like, this is stuff I need.
2: Roberta, one of the incredible things to me is how you, you didn't do a whole study and all of this kind of stuff. You know, you were like, here's the problem, and we can help these people right now when they need it,
3: and we're going to do it. That's the way I roll. I have to tell you, I think I drive the board crazy because (laughs) I don't do focus groups, I don't do study. I kind of go with my gut. And so far, it's been good. It was just like our decision to grow and become national. There was no way I was going to sit on that for a little bit the way so many told me we needed to. We were very lucky that we had the funding. There was money sitting in the bank every single month because oh don't grow too fast so we were in like 18 states and we still had money not being used what's the sense of fundraising if the is sitting there and not being used and in the meantime i'm getting calls at all hours of the night i can hear the desperation in these women's voices and i have to say no I'm sorry, we can't help you because you don't live in the right geographic location. That doesn't seem right. At the beginning of 2023, I just said, it has to change. It has to change. You have to let us do this. And luckily, we've got some great board members. We did a soft launch. And by April, we announced it at our gala. I'm so proud of this year to date. We have given $300,000 in grants. Wow. Wow! 300,000. It's such a huge increase from what we gave last year. I'm going to say we approve probably 10 to 12 applicants a week that are fully approved. And when you think about the fact that we're giving a thousand dollars a month for six months to each applicant, that's a lot of money. It doesn't sound like it's a lot of applicants, but it ends up being a lot of money. Does it worry you that you won't be able to keep up with the fundraising? I'm just recently starting to think okay, we need to come up with some new plans to make sure we sustain this. I do think some of the worry is just me being a worrier. We have people coming off and going on every month because of the 6-month, you know, rotation, so I think we're going to be fine. The pharmaceutical industry has been extremely generous to us. Look, the patient population we help, this is the the hot button right now in our society. We're very lucky because the pharma companies give us the money and they say use it for your grant programs. But do I want to make sure that we're always putting in new programs to sustain this so that we can keep on going absolutely. Because we are right now helping women in 27 states? And yesterday, I had a call from an applicant in Alaska and an applicant in Hawaii. So, I mean, people know about us, but we're also very niche. There's nobody else in the country that has this mission because we are super, super focused on single mother, metastatic breast cancer, kids under the age of 18 living with you.
2: Let's hear again from Marlena Murphy. She's living with NBC and found Infinite Strengths When she most needed it.
1: When this started, it was December, which was perfect because not only is Christmas in December, but my daughter's birthday is December 26th. (laughs) So... (laughs) For me to not have to worry about, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to pay the mortgage and pay electricity and just trying to figure out how to get all of those things together in addition to wanting to make my daughter's Christmas and her birthday very special. And not only that, December 2022, that's when she turned 16. Despite the fact that I had been diagnosed in 2022 again, I wanted her 16th birthday to be something to enjoy and was special for her. So that was a direct influence on how I was able to financially be there for her. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you for founding Infinite Strength. Thank you for the individuals and organizations that donate to Infinite Strength. It's been a real blessing, and I've just been very appreciative, even to this point. Just still amazed by the generosity that Roberta has expressed and provided for me and my daughter.
2: That was Marlena Murphy sharing words of gratitude for her experience with Roberta and Infinite Strength. And now let's get back to our interview with Roberta. I feel like the thing that really drew attention to Infinite Strength is something that you call the life support panels. Through them, you pulled in some of the big name oncologists, patient advocates, other healthcare professionals, and just so our listeners know, there are three upcoming ones. There's actually one today called Breast Cancer Genetic Testing. There's one in the middle of October called Health Disparities. And there's one on December 7th called MBC Survivorship. Now, these are all free to attend in person, and you usually have them on Zoom also. I'm wondering how those are going, how they started, And also, I was hoping you could tell us about your upcoming conference.
0: So the
3: panels, they just took off. And honestly, the first panel we did, that was just me saying, people don't know what metastatic breast cancer is. And I think we have to educate as many people as we can. The panel was so well received, I thought we should do more of these. Once we did like three, pharma started to notice us because we were getting all these doctors in one place and they didn't have access to the doctors anymore because they couldn't get into the hospitals. I didn't do the panels because I thought we were going to get money for them. No clue. That was just like, wow, what a bonus. We were staying on the East Coast. We went to New York City with MSK. And a few weeks before that, we went to Dana-Farber, one in Boston. So we're taking them on the road. Not too far. Because I'm like, when are you coming to Chicago? Everybody's saying to me, can you go here? Can you go there? Everybody has to remember, I was a one-woman show up until very recently. We just hired this amazing woman, Christina, who is helping me with the grants now that we have so many. And she's helping us with social media and marketing. And she's very invested in what we do because she lost her sister to metastatic breast cancer at the age of 33. She was a single mother and left behind a five-year-old little girl. She's in it for the long haul. And I couldn't be more thrilled. But still the workload with just the two of us that are actually working every day It's hard. We haven't planned 2024 yet, but what we do know is that for February of 2024, on February 3rd, we are having our first metastatic breast cancer conference in Connecticut that's really going to be focused on being a mother and living with MBC. It's not so much about the science behind the treatments. It's about the emotional and mental impact of this disease and how we envision it is, for instance, Dr. Lusberg to sit with some of her patients in a session and talk about how being a mother impacted their treatment choices and talking to some of the older children on what it's like to be raised in a home with a mom who has a terminal illness and how that shaped them. We're really looking at this from a different angle than I think many other conferences have had and still staying true to what we do and what we focus on. We're making it more of a regional conference. We're inviting physicians from Memorial Sloan Kettering and Dana Farber to join us as well. It's very exciting.
2: With the conference, is it only for people who are single moms? You can be
3: married, you can be separated. You can never been married. If you're a mom, and you have metastatic disease. It's for you. We're encouraging people to bring their children and we're going to partner with like Camp Kesem and have them bring activities in for kids so that parents don't have to worry about, oh, I can't go to this because who's going to watch my child? So That way, that's taken off the table.
2: Roberta, your focus and your awareness to be able to remember things like that and then come up with
3: a solution, it's inspiring. Two things. One, having my girls is everything to me. I try to think about that and say, okay, how is this affecting these women Their children are their greatest choice, right? So you have to make sure you're thinking of that and how every decision is impacted like that when you're a mother. But also, we have a really great board. Julia Mawis is on our board as an advisor. And when we talked about this, Julia said, how about Camp Kesem? So that was not me. That was Julia. I have to give her full credit. I think that taking
2: the child care issue off the table is so important. I like how you are so thoughtful about how to help somebody, you know, just the willingness to try to figure out some option that still serves the patient.
3: I think that's so important because there's just too much of a burden put on the patient in all aspects. Hospitals put too much burden on the patients and nonprofits, they make it so hard to apply. We try to make it as easy as possible for them. We were going through applicants yesterday and... We weren't going to approve someone because she didn't have a home to pay and she couldn't tell us of a bill. So she wasn't really sure what she wanted from us. And she was actually asking if we could just give her a one time check for four hundred dollars. Just pulled that number out. So we put our heads together and we said, you know what? We're just gonna give her five hundred dollars a month and she can do with it what she needs. We don't usually do that. We don't usually write the check right to
2: the patient. Probably just so overwhelmed. For some reason, I was under the impression that the doctor or the social worker needed to be the one putting forward the application.
3: No, the patient is welcome to go online and fill the application out. What we need with that, though, is a letter from the social worker and a letter from the oncologist. Okay. Dating the diagnosis, making sure that yes, it is MBC. Because again, another variable sometimes for us is that maybe the woman doesn't understand her diagnosis very well. So we have to have some type of validation that they do have metastatic breast cancer. We have to have certain documents in the file to say, yes, you're approved. I didn't realize that in the South, many hospitals don't have social workers. And when I call to maybe talk to the doctor's nurse or they say, well, it's not our business. We don't evaluate whether they have financial need. So they hand them a list of organizations that help. And then they call us and try to figure it out. And I think a lot of it too, is look at who we help. The patient population we serve are the neediest of the needy. I think that's the right thing. I think to see real change, and to try to mitigate health disparities. You can't start middle of the road. You have to start the people that need it the most and meet them where they are first. Nobody's holding these women's hands and saying, let me help you. Let me help you navigate this. We got a call a few months ago from a woman who was in Kentucky, I think, undergoing chemotherapy, and she wanted to try to save her hair. The hospital said that they had scalp cooling to offer her. They didn't tell her until the day before treatment that she had to find funding to cover it. She thought it was something the hospital supplied to you. You didn't have to worry about it. They gave her a piece of paper and somehow it had our name and phone number on it. I I met Rich Paxman when I was in treatment. And while I didn't have scalp cooling, Paxman scalp cooling He's been a supporter of ours, and he's become a very good friend. So I knew how to help her, and I made a call. I asked her if I could talk to the person at the hospital. I found out they had Paxman scalp cooling, and I called Rich, and I said, can you help us? They just told her, well, here's an option to keep your hair. They never took the time to say, but there's a cost to it, and if you can't pay for it, and it was obvious she couldn't, then you have to find somebody that can help you. How is a person supposed to navigate this stuff?
0: Right.
2: If you're in advocacy in any way, if you have metastatic breast cancer, or like in your case, if you don't, you know that you're going to lose people, that there's going to be hardships that you see. How do you live with
3: that? What are your coping mechanisms? So sometimes it gets really heavy for me to hear the stories or to get the calls that somebody passed. And I can tell you, Julia brought us a young woman not long ago, and I just took to her. Can't explain it. She was just the sweetest. Her father reached out a couple of days after the first of the year and said, I just wanted you to know that my daughter passed and I found her notes to and from you. And it was obvious that you meant a great deal to her, and I wanted you to know. That, like, that was one that was especially hard. <clears throat> Sometimes I have to take a step back. Sometimes I have to walk out of my office and say, okay, you know what? Let everything just go for right now and do something that makes you feel better. When possible, that has to do with being with my girls, going on a long walk, and just kind of letting things settle inside. As tragic as it is, it makes me say, okay, think about if we weren't there to help this woman for as long as we did. Think about how much worse it would have been for her and her child leading up to this. When we can, like in the instance I just told you, we sent her father a check for her son to be used as he saw fit because he was now going to be his grandson's caregiver. And she had time left with us for her grant. So I just said that she would want you to use it to help her son. Now, Dr. Lusberg and I were talking about this the other day. One of her patients passed who we were helping and she called. And my first question was, what about her kids? That's what's driving me crazy. How do we help the kids in this time of need? That thought is what keeps me up at night. And, you know, she had a great suggestion. She said, maybe that's something we put on our intake form. Maybe we start asking that question. We try to figure out a way to help. Here's Deltra James talking
2: about Infinite Strength's new campaign called The Kids Are Not Okay. It started this month in September, and it puts the focus on The kids of Moms with MBC. Roberta asked Deltra if she would be the face of this project. And in case you're wondering what that entailed, it means Deltra's face is on a billboard right now in Connecticut.
0: Infinite strength helped me so much above and beyond the six months of financial assistance. I just want every single mom with NBC to know about this amazing resource that is unlike any other. So this is a very new thing. The kids are now okay. discussions. It's very important. But I think being on a billboard (laughs) is pretty huge. It was definitely a step outside of my comfort zone. And it's really putting my face out there. I'm not I'm not a super private person. I'm a very open book kind of person. Everyone has a story, I'm not ashamed of mine. And I want people to put real people's faces and stories to these organizations. So when someone's raising their hand during an auction and they're saying $6,000 or whatever (laughs) for this Vacation in Italy, I want them to look around the room and think, okay, it's for these people. Because to me, $6,000, that's my rent for six months. They need to realize that. And Roberta realizes that. The biggest part of marketing an organization like this is just letting people know who they're helping
2: yeah. and
0: what people are struggling with. So when she asked me, hey, would you welcome us into your home to take some photos? <laughs> you and just whoever of your girls would be willing to participate. I absolutely said yes. And I always give my kids the option and I respect their privacy. But for me, I also feel like sharing so openly is like just mashing generational issues with being open about diagnosis. There's just so much shame and secrecy around diagnosis. And I would also say a lot of shame and secrecy about struggles in general. Even financially, those are just my realities. They're not things that define me.
2: When you think about your biggest accomplishment with infinite strength, what really fills
3: your heart and keeps you going? What keeps me going are the women that I speak to. I love answering the phone and knowing that I can help these women. The conversations that I have with them are eye-opening and it just makes me want to do more and try harder and come up with other ways that we can support them. That's what keeps me going and that's what keeps me motivated. They'll call me because they get to know me, right? They'll call me if they need to talk about something. So if they had a scan and they're not quite sure what the doctor told them, They'll call me. And sometimes I actually have to call the doctor and say, Your patient didn't know what you just explained to them. Nobody's a mind reader, everybody's human. Well, like the patient needs to understand the diagnosis and what's going on. If this one woman, she wasn't sleeping, her back was killing her, and she goes, I'm just not sleeping at night. And I said, Did you tell your doctor? Oh yeah, I've had a scan recently. Well, what did it say? I don't know. I didn't understand. So I feel like That is just another way we help them if we can make the doctor pay attention a little closer. I hear that Infinite Strength
2: is starting a new project, Roberta. Can you tell us a little bit about the Connecticut
3: Coalition of Breast Cancer Oncologists? Uh, We're kicking it off September 19th. The plan is that we'll gather all the oncologists from every corner of the state from all the healthcare organizations to work together to collaborate on ways to remove the barriers for traditionally marginalized patients with breast cancer. This will be all women with all stages of breast cancer if they're underserved. And how we'd like to structure it is that Infinite Strength will have a patient resource. You can call it a navigator. You can call it an ambassador. I really don't care what we call it. They will be interfacing with the hospital navigators. For all the things that fall through the cracks that a hospital institutional worker cannot do because of their workload, rides to treatment, home health check-ins, child care, behavioral health and mental health specialists, and it will all run through infinite strength. We envision sitting with the hospital navigator's monthly and going case by case here in Connecticut and making sure that we're helping Jane Doe. So now are we fixing the problem so that we can have some metrics to it? I think the potential is great with this program. Once we structure it and we fine tune it, I think it's the blueprint nationally. So what role do the oncologists play? here's the thing, the social workers and the navigators are the ones that work with the patients that we're talking about, right? They're the ones that make things happen for them. But I think the oncologists need to know what is needed and make sure that things are walked through. I'm using Dr. Lesberg a lot, but I know you guys all know her. She's on our board. She walks her patients to us, literally. Like she'll bring them to the social worker and say, you need to reach out to Infinite Strength, make sure you know this patient fills out an application, walk it through to Roberta, then she texts me. You're going to see an application. Most doctors don't do that. Most doctors, they see the patient, they leave, and they let the social worker and the navigator deal with it. When I'm saying we get them in a room, we tell them how we're going to structure it and what we're going to do, we're also going to ask on the head of social work in each Institution to be present for these meetings as well, because they have to carry it to their teams. But this way, everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what we're trying to do, what the goals are. And hopefully, by doing that, we can start breaking down all these roadblocks that this patient population has had. But it's going to take everybody. I think everybody needs to be held accountable for this to work because what I don't want to do. And I've said this before, I don't want to be another coalition or alliance and then they don't get anything done and you meet forever in a day and nothing happens. I like to move on things. And I think it's really important that we do that. The big thing for me right now, the thing I'm pushing for is help with the mental health, because what we see with the women we help, Is that if they didn't have some type of mental or emotional issues prior to diagnosis, the diagnosis is the tipping point. And they get this diagnosis and it's just world imploding for them and their kids. I think if everybody works together and we take egos out, oh, there's no excuse. You can't say you didn't know about us because you're in the room. While you were talking, I was thinking, maybe what needs
2: to happen is educating the oncologist. This way of doing it is so good to bring the action that's gonna happen with the education. It's gonna happen simultaneously.
3: I think for some, it will be very eye-opening when I can tell them the stories that are shared and the fact that so many of these women will tell me things they don't tell their social workers. They're afraid. They're afraid to disclose some of the issues they have because they're afraid that they're not going to get the best treatment or that they're just going to be ignored or they're afraid of their doctor because they feel he's a doctor. She's a doctor and she doesn't have time to hear about this concern or this problem. They just think of me as a woman and that they're talking to on the phone. So they'll talk to me. And that's key. They need somebody to talk to.
2: Are you thinking that you're going to try to connect people with mental health?
3: That's the idea. And I know this is pie in the sky, but, you know, I just remember when I was diagnosed and I had to meet my team and hear the plan. It was the breast surgeon, the breast oncologist, and a social worker came in to give my husband and I advice on how to tell our three girls. There was no therapist, psychiatrist, whatever you want to call it, counselor. There was none of that. And I think to myself, why aren't patients given that as part of their care team? Even the most together patient, this disease is hard. And then the drugs you take are hard. And to be in treatment for the remainder of your life, that's a lot. And then, just what the diagnosis implies, you have to deal with that. Why aren't we supplying a trained individual to give that type of help and support to each person? And I get it staffing shortage, there aren't enough people. But again, I say, what are we doing in this country? Because it's just such a circus. So I know these are lofty goals, but this is all a part of it.
2: If you can get it going and making it work in Connecticut, you're so focused that I feel like you will make it happen, even if it's one state at a time. I actually cannot imagine the amount of work that all of this would entail. Like Again, this is where industry is going
3: to help us. The pharma companies have been wonderful. But through talking to the contacts there, They all have their own programs that they institute with hospitals. For example, if you're on Trudelvy, Gilead gives a transportation fund for patients that need it to get to the hospital for treatment. It's not accessed. That begs the question, why isn't it accessed? Do the hospital social workers not know of it? Is there just not clear communication? Because we don't want to have to rebuild something that's already there. Or use money that could be used for something else. So it's really talking with industry and saying, what do you have put in place in Connecticut? And we can keep track and make sure that it's off the table as a roadblock for the patients. We have to harness everything that is available. I think that we could do some pretty amazing things here once we get off the ground. Having seen
2: you in action, raising money, and <laughs> how you really pull people in, Dr. Lusberg, Dr. Weiner, you have lots of big name people who are invested in your success and enthusiastic about this. Did you have experience doing this
3: before you started? Not fundraising. I had experience as an event planner. That was my career. Okay. So for 20-something years, I was an event planner. I just called on those skills to fundraise. I'm not one that ever asks somebody for money. That was a big thing for me to learn, to ask people to give. But it's so much easier to ask when you're asking on somebody else's behalf and you know how much they need it. Talking to the women we support allows me to truly convey what the need is and paint the picture of the lives these women have. I think that also is what makes us different. This is a full-time job for me more than full-time and I don't take a salary. I do it because I love it. I think that's what comes across and look, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, right? Dr. Weiner, Dr. Lusberg, Dr. DeFusco in Hartford. Tiffany Traina, Dr. Traina at MSK, my gosh, just amazing. Just the best people, just the nicest, most compassionate. The ones I've just mentioned, and there's many more, I'm not trying to leave them out, but they're really amazing and they get it and they want to do the best for their patients. They want to make sure that their patients have every opportunity and they do understand the challenges. I think that's why they're drawn to us and we're drawn to them. It's kind of a no brainer. But I feel extremely lucky to be around the people that I get to be around. I would never have imagined that.
2: Thank you so much for doing all of it. And thank
3: you for agreeing to be a guest on our NBC Live. No, thank you. This means a lot. Lisa and I had talked about it. She really did stop some of the internal conflict I had about doing this. It's hard on my girls, they're happy on one hand that I do it, but it's like cancer's always in their life every day. Yeah. And when I want to talk about it, it's really not what they want to hear. So I struggled with that a lot. I struggled with, is this fair to my kids? Because it's so much a part of my life. And Lisa really helped me reconcile By watching her live her life and deal with the hand she had been dealt and still everything she did to advocate, it it just was mind-blowing. Sometimes I'm like,
2: this isn't really great, probably for me emotionally, and probably not fair to my daughters. Is it fair to my husband too? But there's... So many really wonderful people involved. People just keep on doing it because it
3: matters. Like my husband, he's supportive, but he does not want to talk about cancer. Exactly. He does not want to deal with it and hard, But I also feel like it's the right thing for me. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) I've met so many wonderful people. And you wouldn't have met them if you didn't go through what you went through or you're going through. And you think, geez, I can't imagine not knowing you guys now. It's very bittersweet.
2: If you'd like to discuss this episode or any other, please join our closed Facebook group, Our MBC Life Group. This episode was produced by me, Martha Carlson, along with original music and sound design by Connor Kinsley. Many thanks to everyone involved in our NBC Life podcast. Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Vice President of Patient Support and Education at SHARE Cancer Support. You can find more episodes of Our NBC Life wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Check out our blog and full episode notes on our website at OurMBCLife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ourmbclife.